Okay, today's Bible reading is uh, John chapter 4, verses 46 to 517, uh, which will be on the screen, and if you have a black church Bible, it's on page 1654. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you from carrying your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Okay, let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these wonderful times when people meet Jesus. Jesus meets people. And they speak to us because in meeting Jesus, they come face to face with the face of you face of God. So Heavenly Father, please open our eyes and help us to understand what it's like to meet you in the flesh and to learn something of your attitude to us and how you treat us. Please increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've just heard, read two stories of uh, what happened when Jesus met two very different people. The first, an official. Now, he was an important man in King Herod's palace. King Herod had a summer palace at Capernaum on the lake of uh, Galilee. We don't have 
palaces, of course, in Adelaide. We don't have kings, but we do have important people. Now, kids, maybe that is your mum or dad, right? They, um, they kind of have power and they have money and they can decide things and things happen. Uh, maybe adults, it's you. Maybe you know someone like that. Okay, the second man was uh, someone very different. He had no power at all. He had no money. He was disabled. He had to beg for a living. Disabled beggar. Two very different people. Different to us, but not so different. All of us love to be able to do things for ourselves, to be able to have power, position, influence, authority, money. But also... For all of us, there will be things that we are powerless about. We cannot do for ourselves. There are some things we are paralysed in. So Jesus meets two people, different to us, but really not so different. What happens when he meets them? In the first story, the royal official, though he has money and power and position, there's something he can't fix, and it's his son. He lies sick in bed. Literally, he was on fire. He had a fever, and he's close to death, verse 47. Now, today, of course, fevers are treated with antibiotics, but before antibiotics, fevers could kill. I still remember my grandmother, you know, we'd run around outside in the rain. She'd said, put something on, you'll catch your death of cold, right? Because when she was a girl, that's exactly what would happen. They would kill people. This man's son had caught a fever, And in the ancient world, if you were in bed with a fever, that meant you were down for the count. But locals had come back back to Lake Galilee, down from Jerusalem, with news of the miracles that Jesus had done down there. The, the, The news goes into the palace, the official hears of it. He hears that Jesus is nearby, sort of, in Cana, 50 kilometers away. Um, That's the place where Jesus did his first miracle. If you come back on October 28th, we'll hear about that one. But this man, therefore, legs it, the 50 kilometres, comes to Jesus and begs him to come down and heal his son who's close to death. Now, we know that nothing makes a parent more anxious or desperate than when their child is critically ill and they can't make them better. They will do anything to get help. Um, Back in 2007, our second daughter, Lillian, was nine years old. We'd gone to Sydney for some significant birthday. And while she was there, she was... She had this raging fever and and no amount of Panadol could get it down. She just got worse and worse. And then she, with that, she developed sharp back pain. And we thought, that's a bit odd, strange. Um, Over the three days we were there, the life drained out of her. We got on a plane and as soon as we got back, I raced her into the Women's and Children's Hospital. It was one of those nights of extreme busyness. We were put last on the list So we waited eight hours there until everyone else had been seen and all the effects of Panadol by that stage had worn off completely and she could now no longer sit up. The back pain was so intense, all she could do was lie down and I'm thinking something's not right and I watched my little girl turn grey and there were no doctors or nurses around, you know, the waiting room of women's and children's at that time of night and I I thought I've got to do something. I was desperate. So I didn't care about hospital protocol. I just ran into a ward, ripped open the curtains, found a nurse there and said, is anyone going to take care of my little girl? Now, she could have called hospital security at that point because you're not meant to do this. And, um, but she looked up and she saw the desperation in my eyes and she came and then, of course, Lillian's diagnosed with a collapsed lung pneumonia. She got treatment. She was okay. 
but I knew this man's desperation. All of us are going to face those moments. Neither money nor influence will protect us from them. This man had money, position and power. None of that could save his son. He's helpless. What's he going to do? The original language says he he begged Jesus repeatedly and insistently over time to come down and heal his son, to which Jesus, of course, says, okay, let's go. I'm on the way. I'm with you. No, he doesn't. Do you know what he said? He said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you're never going to believe. What's going on? Doesn't that sound a bit harsh? Sounds like he doesn't care. Actually, he's being kind. He's not saying no. What he's doing, he's uncovering a blind spot and he's lifting this guy's eyes and with his eyes, ours as well. See, all this guy can focus on is the need for a miracle that's going to save his son. And you can understand that. But Jesus' goal is bigger. He wants his eyes to be lifted, our eyes to be lifted from the miracle to his need to believe. Um, from the miracle to the sign that it points towards, to the, to the healer and to the possibility of bigger things, greater life, that Jesus actually could bring this man's whole family. And Jesus' rebuke isn't just for this guy, it's for all the people who are there because they're shallow. Verse 45, they welcomed him, but the verse before, verse 44, Jesus knows a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. They love the miracles, but they're not going to listen to him, which means they're going to miss seeing the point of what the miracles point towards. The miracles aren't there as ends in themselves. So, He needs to lift their eyes and their faith needs to be challenged. And so we've heard what happens. The royal official pleads with Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Obviously, he's thinking that Jesus has to be physically there to heal his child. Right? His faith is small. He thinks Jesus is a healer. Whereas Jesus is so much more than that. But he is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate and he is wise. And so to open this man's eyes so he'll grow in his faith... Jesus agrees to half of what the man asks. He says, you go, your son will live. You go, I'm not going with you. You go, but your son will live. Now, for this guy to leave without Jesus requires a massive step up in faith because he's going to have to move on from just thinking that Jesus is a healer He's going to have to move on to thinking Jesus somehow has authority over life and death and can control this just by speaking. You go, your son will live. All that Jesus has given him, it's no no proof he hasn't seen a miracle, all that Jesus has given him is his word. It's exactly what we have, we just have a promise, a word. Jesus challenges him to believe that word, to act on it, to go, even though he's got no way of knowing for sure that that word has been effective. Nevertheless, he takes Jesus at his word and he begins the 50k leg back. It's not until the next day when he's halfway home that he meets the servants who've come up in the opposite direction to bring him news that not only was his son living, but that the time that he got better was one o'clock the previous day, the exact time Jesus had said, your son will live. Well, how did it change him? Obviously, he's relieved. He's overjoyed that his son's alive. But, you know, it makes you wonder, who who could do what Jesus did? Just with a word, he sends sickness and death away. What does that say about Jesus, except that somehow life itself comes from him and that therefore life 
well, life beyond death could come from him too, which means that would be good news not just for this man, but for everyone in his household who trusts in Jesus. This is exactly what happens. With the confirmation that Jesus' word was enough to bring his son back from the dead, verse 53, he and all his household, which means all his family, all his servants, believed. So the miracle of life given to the boy was only actually ever a sign of the greater miracle of life which Jesus offers everyone who believes. And it's that that he promises us. It's there in verses 24 and 25. They weren't read out, but have a look. Jesus said, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life. Present tense. Has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life. Eternal life, a present reality for all who hear his word and believe in the Father. But then he promises something more. We think more? How can you get more than that? Resurrection. Jesus says, A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So that in the same way that the fevered boy who was dying heard Jesus' voice from afar and death left him and life flooded into him, so those who are dead will hear Jesus' voice and be raised to life from the dead. That, friends, is what this miracle points us towards. Eternal life in Christ, resurrection from the dead. Now, maybe you're here, this is all news to you, but Jesus goes on to prove it in his own life when he dies on the cross and rises bodily from the dead on the third day. It's not just him that will rise from the dead, it's all who hope in him. That's our great hope. But Jesus' healings aren't just signs to us of the life to come. They can be signs, in fact, of the opposite. And so now we come to the second story it's similar but different. In the first, you know, it was the official who came to Jesus for healing. In the second, it's Jesus who comes to the man and offers healing. So it's a bit different. In the first story, it featured a man at the centre of society, a man with wealth and influence. The second is about a man at the margins of society, the poorest of men with no influence whatsoever. The setting for that second story is in Jerusalem. Um, and in the two pools in the northeast corner of the city, there's a scale model. Archaeologists have excavated the area. These pools sit side by side and they're surrounded by covered walkways where people used to lie. The lower pool on the left was used for ceremonial washing before people would go into the temple. That's the pool of Siloam. The higher pool on the right was used for healing. That's the pool of Bethesda. You wouldn't want to mix those two up. You wouldn't want um, people who needed healing to wash in that pool because that would contaminate it because the people on the right are unclean. All right. Now, the pool, the pool on the right is fed by a natural spring and from time to time the water would bubble and people thought that angels were stirring up the water and the first person into the pool would be healed. But to do that, of course, to be the first one in, you had to be able to move which is okay if you're deaf, but it's not so okay if you're lame and paralysed. So around this pool would sit people with all forms of disability, but those with the greatest disabilities would be pushed out to the edge in the haste of other people who are more able to be able to get in first. So Jesus comes to this man at the margins of the marginalised. Here's a man literally on the outer 
He's been an invalid for 38 years. And this time Jesus takes the initiative and he, say, he asks what seems to us like a really dumb question. He says, do you want to get well? We think, of course he wants to get well. Who wants to be an invalid? Except sometimes, sometimes, over decades, a disability can foster a sort of, sort of um, learned helplessness uh, which might make a person not really want to get well because they're used to other people looking after them. And if he got well begging, well, he wouldn't be able to beg for a source of income, would he? So Jesus is wise in actually asking, do you really want to get well? And the man doesn't answer directly yes or no. Instead, of he speaks of his helplessness, he, he's thinking Jesus is saying, why don't you get into the pool and be healed? He says, I've got no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. Someone always makes it in ahead of me first. Jesus just looks at him and he says, rise up, pick up your mat and walk. And then to everyone's complete astonishment, that's what he does. He's immediately cured. He picks up his mat and he walks. Now, I'm no doctor, but I've got a family of physios and they tell me that his muscles would have been completely wasted. For him to get up and walk would have required a wholesale rebuilding of muscle tissue. And then even if that happened, he would have to spend months in rehab learning how to walk again. Jesus just enables him to walk, walk with the word. It's a complete act of creation. It's the second staggering miracle of healing. If you place the two side by side, what's missing at this point is this, in the second miracle is that this man doesn't respond by putting his faith in Jesus. Okay, that doesn't happen. Here's what happens. The Jewish authorities see the man... And they pounce on him because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath and he's breaking the rules. Then this man, rather than standing up to them, blames the one who healed him. And in his response, when they ask him who did such a terrible thing, isn't it completely crazy, it's, we discover that the man hasn't even bothered to find out Jesus' name. Once he does find it out, he goes to the authorities and reports Jesus. Thanklessness. People can, we can, experience God's kindness in our lives, even miraculous healing, and be thankless. Um, some months back, I parked my car at Burnside Shopping Centre, right, on a very busy shopping time. Um, it was the Tarago. So, and I, the last spot left was at a pillar, right, on the side. Uh, but the lady beside me in her big car had kind of gone over the line, right? So I eased in. Thankfully, I'm thin, so I, you, know, you know, to get out. She put down her window and said, we can't get out. I thought, well, there's a lot of room on the other side of the car. You could move over or... I looked at her, she was awaiting a response, I said, would you like me to find another car spot so you can get out? We were here first! <sighs> I sucked in my breath, I bit my tongue, and I drove out, tried to find another car spot. Next, we were on the travelator, moving up to the shops together. It takes, it takes quite a while to go up that, right? It goes fairly slowly. And I, 
I was standing there. We, we were the only ones on it. I was just waiting for one word, just, just one, just to say thanks. Never came. <laughs> she totally ignored it. I couldn't believe it. You know, human beings, myself included, we are experts at doing that to God. He gives us life and breath and everything that makes life good. Most of us think we deserve it. And we, we don't give God so much of it as a nod in his direction. And when things go bad, what do we do? We're quick, quick to blame him. Jesus has just performed a miracle on this man. He refuses to even acknowledge Jesus. He turns him into the authorities. Now, both of these miracles, giving life to a dying boy and healing a disabled man, are signs to us of things to come. But of what? Of course, both show Jesus' authority over death and over disability. Both show the astounding power of Jesus' word. To one, he said, your son will live. To another, rise up. And it's those words that actually speak to us of things to come. So Jesus' words, your son will live, speak to us of Jesus transferring people from death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life, physical death to physical life. He does it through his word. And this is Jesus' promise to us. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. He says, I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, they will live. So that just as Jesus said, your son will live and that boy was, who was as good as dead did live, he will say it to those who have died with faith in him and those who hear will live. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise. So the miraculous sign of the first story points us to Jesus' power, his power of his word to raise the dead on his return. He's going to do it. He's given of his word. His word has authority. Now think of Jesus' words in the second miracle. He says, rise up. Well, that guy did rise up, but he didn't believe in Jesus. What's this a sign of? We skipped over a verse. Verse 14. After Jesus had healed the man, he found him in the temple and said to him, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we don't know in what way he was sinning. Perhaps he was begging when he shouldn't have been because now he was well. Perhaps it was something else. Whatever it was, Jesus points to his previous experience of disability and he uses it as a warning as bad as that was, unless the man stopped sinning, what would come upon him would be even worse. What's he talking about? Resurrection. But not resurrection to life, resurrection to judgment. Jesus says it's not only those who believe in him who will be resurrected on his return. It's everyone. It's unbelievers as well. And just as Jesus said to this man, rise up, and he did... He's going to say it again. That's his promise. Look at verse 28. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and they will come out. And those who've done good will rise to live and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. And that makes us think, what is the good and what is the evil? But he's speaking about a day of judgment. For all who like this man have been happy to take from God without acknowledging him or thanking him or believing in him. So these two miracles are a sign of the resurrection to come. For those who respond with belief in Jesus, the sign of life given to a dying boy 
is a sign of eternal life, which we can now have, but also of the day when he'll rise us from the dead. But to those who don't believe and just take from God, Jesus' raising of the lame man and then his word of warning to him is a sign to us of the day of judgment when people will be raised to be condemned. I became a Christian at the age of 15. Now, some here will have heard me say it all began with the axe murder of the lady across the road, which was kind of true. Um, it did happen, actually. That, but, but the main reason I became a Christian was because my mum, who's not a Christian, she taught me, when someone does something for you, it's right to say thank you. And I realised, whilst many people had done lots and lots of things for me, no one had ever done for me what God did for me in sending his son to die on a cross for me so that I shouldn't be punished, but I could be set free from the punishment that was due on me. No one had done that for me. How could I walk away from that without saying thank you? I couldn't. So I said thank you, I became a Christian, and I received the life that God promised me because of it. To walk away from a gift like that, to me, seemed the height of rudeness and the most tragic mistake you could ever possibly make. Now, I don't know everyone here. If you know what God has done for you and you haven't yet said thank you and placed your trust in Christ, don't you think it's about time to stop being rude, frankly? Um, I mean, really. To do what that second man did and walk away from what had been done for him without even acknowledging. The right response is to do what the first man did, to take Jesus at his word, to believe that he had power, to do what we cannot yet see and to trust him. Because the day of resurrection is coming. Jesus says it. Verse 25, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He promises us this. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, that is, those who have believed in Jesus, because that's the good that he wants. And those who have done evil, disbelief, will rise to be condemned. Jesus also promises us, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. These miracles are a sign of things to come. Through them, God is speaking to us and he's making us think, how do we respond? Are we responding in faith or not? That's the challenge. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, help us not to be so rude and thankless that we don't actually place our trust in you and respond with gratitude. Thank you, Father, for these two miracles which have been recorded for us, which teach us about things to come. Uh, and in as much as Jesus has authority in his word to raise the dead, to heal people who are, who are paralyzed, help us now to take seriously his word to us because it carries authority. And we pray, God, that you'd keep working in our lives so that we'd respond in the way you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.